Hello, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome back to Add Passion and Stir. We are so grateful for our partner, the Habit Burger Grill, and the unbelievable support they've shown us in the past six years, especially during the pandemic. From now through October 21st, you can round up your bill at the Habit Burger Grill and donate your change to No Kid Hungry. Since 2015, the Habit Burger Grill has helped raise nearly $2.5 million to help end childhood hunger in America. We are so appreciative of their partnership and continued support. Thanks so much to the Habit Burger Grill. Today, we bring you the fourth and final episode in our mini-series, where we've revisited conversations we had with chefs in the early days of the pandemic. The shutdowns caused by the pandemic were devastating for the restaurant industry. Millions of people lost their jobs, and billions in revenue was lost. And yet, across our conversations, we kept hearing a story of resilience. And a shared question, how can I be of service to those in need? Now the restaurant industry is rebuilding. It's reopening, thanks to increased vaccination rates and federal support for restaurants. But what does reopening look like? And how has COVID permanently changed hospitality? Today, we return to a conversation we had with celebrity chef Rick Bayless. Rick Bayless has won seven James Beard Awards, opened a dozen restaurants, and written nine cookbooks. But the pandemic provided a new challenge for him and his staff. When we spoke with Rick Bayless in September of 2020, he shared how COVID-19 had impacted his restaurants and staff and how they mobilized to help. Well, I haven't left Chicago. Really, I haven't left our neighborhood, the neighborhood where our restaurant is, uh, for six months. And that's kind of surprising to me because... I am a real passionate traveler. I love culture and I love to go visit places and learn about how other people view the world and to have been settled here for this last six months and not really moving very much has given me a new perspective on some things and not a bad one at all. I can say, I I mean, I'm a very lucky person, and probably a lot of our listeners have felt incredibly cooped up. And basically, I've gone between my house, which has a really big, beautiful garden in the back, and the restaurant. And like I said, we never closed at all. And it's been a wild ride of trying to figure out, you know, PPP money and furloughs and laying people off and bringing people back and people on our staff that qualified for unemployment and those that didn't qualify for unemployment and trying our best to take care of our, I mean, we had, we laid on Clark street, we have four restaurants together, but uh, on Clark street alone, we, we had to lay off 190 people on one day. And I've never faced anything like that. I was devastated. It was the hardest thing that I've ever done because so many of the people in the restaurant business, well, pretty much everybody, nobody's got big, big savings accounts that they can say, oh, that's fine. I've got enough to weather the next several months in my bank account. They don't. Most people live more or less paycheck to paycheck. And all of a sudden I was I I was super fearful for our staff. Uh, We were very lucky to be able to really, within the two weeks, get some funding to do a food relief box for um, not only our staff, but for staff all through the restaurant industry in Chicago. And 
I motivated all these chefs to come and pick them up. And we were able to hire back some of our staff to put these boxes together. And so twice a week, we produce 600 boxes of 35 pounds of food each, enough for a family of four to eat for several days on. And it was all real food. There was nothing processed in it. Thank goodness people in the restaurant industry usually know how to cook. And so we were able to give them really honest, natural food that they could do that. And we did that for 12 weeks. Wow. And where did those boxes go, Rick? Well, the thing, they certainly went to our staff, but then we motivated all these chefs to come and pick up boxes for their staff. So we would be in contact with them and we would say, and we chose chefs all over the, the city. And we'd say, you know, how many chef, How many do you, do you need for your restaurant? And they'd say 12 or 15. And then we would ask them to look around, you know, on their block or in their neighborhood and say, can you support fly for another restaurant or two in that neighborhood. And so then they got into this uh, distribution channel with us because that was the hardest thing. We could make the boxes, but we didn't know how to get them out to all of these people in need in the city of Chicago. And sometimes people would just come to the restaurant on the Mondays and Thursday afternoons and just they would just walk up and, and ask for a box. And, you know, we we asked, oh, what restaurant do you work in? And they would tell us what it was. And then they would, we would give them a box. But it was 600 boxes. If you can imagine that, that each box we said had about 1,200, uh, 12 full adult meals in it. So it was, we were producing a lot of food for people. And we did that, as I said, for 12 weeks straight until we- And were you raising money locally to kind of help offset some of it? Well, the very first one, the first one that we did was just a seat of the pants thing because one of the big suppliers, U.S. Foods here in Chicago, just contacted us through another person and said, we just got to empty our, our walk-ins here because this stuff's all going to go bad. Could you help us to do it? And I said, absolutely. We can figure that out in a flash. So the first one was willy-nilly just packing boxes with stuff that we were given. And then after that, um, we worked with a, a family foundation here in Chicago. Chicago to fund the whole thing because as I said we were closed we 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 were in real desperate situation with the restaurant so we had to look elsewhere for funding but we got a family foundation very quickly literally overnight after we made our proposal and gave it to them to say yes they would fund it and they, they were super great to work with us and then they they supplied us all the money that we needed for the entire the entire thing and in addition to US food then we would buy all of our food from U.S. Foods that we would pack for into these boxes. So it helped out U.S. Foods as well and kept some of their people working. And so what did you transition to after the 12 weeks of that? That was when we were able to open up for outdoor dining. And we were using our dining rooms to do all the packing of the boxes. And we had stuff everywhere for this project because we had all the boxes and all of the packing stuff because they would give us, you know, 50 pound bags of, of macaroni or something like that. And we had to portioned it out. So we had all of the equipment to do that in our dining rooms. And then we had to tidy all that stuff up so that we could open for outdoor dining. And and then we were able to hire back a whole lot more of our staff when we were able to do go to the outdoor dining. And then, of course, that transitioned in for us here in Chicago 
to a 25% interior capacity as well. And that's where we have been now for the last, it seems like the last lifetime, but it's probably only been about, it can't even be eight weeks. Bayless became an activist through his involvement in the Independent Restaurant Coalition. It was started by Camilla Marcus and Tom Colicchio to lobby Congress for funds to stabilize the restaurant industry. Restaurant workers account for more than 25% of all jobs lost during the pandemic, yet only 8% of all Paycheck Protection Program funding went to restaurants. The Biden administration's American Rescue Plan established that the Restaurant Revitalization Fund could provide $28.6 billion in funding to help restaurants and other eligible businesses keep their doors open. The fund began taking applications in late April 2021. Well, the, right at the very beginning of the pandemic, the a small group of of chefs formed chefs and restaurateurs formed the Independent Restaurant Coalition, and uh, within a couple of weeks of that, they invited me to be part of that group, and so I've been one of the active people in that. And that group was put together primarily. No, I'm going to say exclusively to hire lobbyists to get into Washington and help move legislation that would help the restaurant industry. Because the one thing that independent restaurants have never had any representation in Washington, and yet we are the second largest employer in the United States. I mean, there's like 11 million people that work in in restaurants in the United States, and most of them are independent restaurants. So we needed some representation, and we had to learn lots of things. And this group of, of chefs and restaurateurs across the United States just grew and grew and grew and grew. Well, what we finally have come up with is the Restaurants Act. And we got our Representative Blumenauer to, to sponsor it in the House and somebody else in the Senate. And it is it, it basically is a $120 billion package. And I, I know that probably a lot of our listeners will say, oh, that's out the window because of all the the craziness that's going on in Congress right now. But these we, we just got 11 more senators to sign on as co-sponsors. I think now we're up into the like high 30s of co-sponsoring senators. We're almost to 200 in the House of Representatives as co-sponsors because people are beginning to realize that the restaurant industry, just like, say, the, the airlines industry, needs a special carve-out because we have a very different business model and if we don't, if we're just lumped into all independent businesses, we're likely going to go out of business. You know, there's many statistics and many people have done a lot of a lot of surveying out there. But almost every survey comes up with the fact that by the end of the year, you can expect well over 50 percent of the restaurants to have gone out of business. I, I could say right now, if we have to pull back, we are, we can do 25 percent on the inside and do some takeout business, but we have to pull back from the outdoor seating because the weather changes in Chicago in the fall and people won't be sitting outside. And if we're stuck with that, I will tell you by the end of the year, we'll be out of business as well. And every restaurant tour that I know would tell you the same thing. So I would guess that well over 50% of the restaurants are going to be out of business unless the government helps us to get through this hard part. And the hard part is going to be this next winter because business slows down in the winter anyway. 
And if we don't get some assistance, I'm just afraid that we're going to see our neighborhoods just devastated because you just think about it. I mean, you, you have a neighborhood restaurant that you love and that when you have to raise money for the kids uh, softball team or whatever it might be, school projects or whatever, you go to those places and you go, oh, we're going to have a, an auction at school. And could you give us a gift certificate? You don't go to the chain restaurants and ask for that stuff. You go to the neighborhood restaurants that really are part and parcel of who you think you are in that neighborhood and that have family in that neighborhood. These are the kinds of places that are going to be gone and the neighborhoods are going to be, they're going to be devastated. I think they're going to lose their character. For me, it's really important for us to to recognize that and to, for everybody to write to your your Congress people and, and say, you know, you got to pass this Restaurants Act because that's going to save our culture in so many ways because restaurants are a major part of our culture. Hello, Ad Passion and Stir listeners. It's Billy Shore here. I'm coming to you today to ask for a favor. Share Our Strength launched Ad Passion and Stir in 2016 to promote conversations about food, justice, and society. In over more than 200 episodes, I've had the privilege of talking to some amazing people like Jeff Bridges, Pink, Anthony Anderson, Carol King, Ariana Huffington. And we've also talked to many of the most amazing chefs in this country. Daniel Hume, Mary Sue Milliken, Tanya Holland, Douglas Williams, and countless more. We're working on some exciting changes now to add passion and stir. And we want to hear from you about what you love about the podcast, what you want more of, and what you might change. You can find the survey at adpassionandstir.com. Just click the podcast survey button at the top of the page. Please share your feedback, and thank you for helping to make this podcast great. Now let's get back to the episode. Rick has chosen to use the pandemic as a moment to address the inequities in society and the restaurant industry. He implemented a service charge to support his staff's higher-than-average hourly base rate. This additional charge allowed him to hire back all of his service staff. I grew up in a, in a family restaurant where everybody that worked there was part of our family, basically. I mean, I don't mean that literally. I mean that figuratively, that we really all were together. And there was one, the pit master that was there for over 25 years. And when he retired, the next person to step in there was a woman that had worked with us for about 10 years. And I grew up in a in a restaurant where there was not a sense that, oh, men have to do this and women have to do that. We all worked together. And now that we're addressing some of those things in the restaurant world today, I'm kind of dumbfounded because I didn't know it could be any other way. I've certainly run my restaurants in a, a very egalitarian way from that perspective. And I think back a lot on the fact that for the last 10 years that my, my mother ran that restaurant, it it had a female pitmaster and nobody wrote an article about it. Nobody said anything about it, but she was great. She was as good as the, the guy that had done it for 25 years, but she had also worked with us for a, a long time and so had her mother. But everybody in our restaurants just pitched in and just did everything, which is, I think, one of the great things about being in a family-run restaurant because it's it really is very familial. We have always sort of, I would say, marched to a different drummer in our restaurants. We have been, we we look at our our restaurant as not just a you know, a financial enterprise, just as a business, but we have always wanted to create the world 
to be better than it was when before we were here and to create a just like in the restaurant that I grew up in I wanted to create a, a really strong sense of family here we have we we're kind of out of the loop even though we have you know a four star fine dining restaurant with a michelin star and all that sort of stuff we don't tap into the pool of the cooks that move from one of those kinds of restaurants to the next one and the same with the wait staff we have always done a lot of promoting from within and looking for our staff is in our restaurant is 50% male and 50% female and that we've always been that way and we it's mixed front and back and everything and because my wife and I run the place and she's the front and I'm the back we have really put a lot of energy into that but i will tell you my eyes have been opened during all of the sort of rays of consciousness around black lives matter and the inequities in our own community and we have been talking to a lot of chefs around chicago about how we can promote the the kinds of enterprises that support the restaurant industry that are black owned and try to change some of the inequity in in that kind of of thing we have switched our way of paying our our service staff now that they are not on the sub minimum wage tip credit thing they are now and this just started during the quarantine because we were able to reinvent ourselves um, so now they're paid by the hour a service charge goes on to every every check just like you would leave a tip but that service charge then goes to to pay everybody in the restaurant in a more equitable way so we've been able to something we've been wanting to do for a long time and we took the opportunity during the pandemic pandemic to do that. Bayless's motto is to make a place better than when he found it. And he continues to live by this motto and look for ways to give back to the underserved communities in Chicago, where his flagship restaurant, Frontera Grill, is located. I'm looking for other ways to to work in the south and west side that are totally underserved, where the so many of the people don't have opportunity to bring opportunity in uh, to them. And we'll find other ways of doing it. And we're going to resurrect the the program. It's called the Impact Program at the Hatchery. And I, I think we're going to be we're, we're going to come back strong with that program, but we just can't do it right now. Rick Bayless continues to advocate for increased equity in the restaurant industry. He shared his views in recent op-eds in the Chicago Tribune and other publications, and he recently announced plans to expand his Tortazzo restaurant in New York City. Tortazzo is a fast, casual brand focused on tortas, a type of sandwich served on a flat Tolera roll that's very popular in Mexico. To learn more about Rick Bayless, visit www.rickbayless.com. And to learn more about the Independent Restaurant Coalition and the Restaurant Revitalization Fund, visit www.saverestaurants.com. And for our full conversation with Rick Bayless and all of our other Add Passion and Stir episodes, visit shareourstrength.org slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to Add Passion and Stir. I'm Billy Shore. Mm-hmm.